Chapter 8 of Alice, or The Wages of Sin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shasta, Oakland, California. Alice, or The Wages of Sin, by Frederick Gordon Pangborn. Chapter 8 Had it pleased heaven to try me with affliction, had he rained all kinds of sores and shames upon my bare head, steeped me in poverty to the very lips, given to captivity me and my utmost hopes, I should have found in some part of my soul a drop of patience, but, alas, to make me a fixed figure for the time of scorn to point his slow, unmoving finger at. I have given suck, and know how tender tis to love the babe that milks me. I would, while it was smiling in my face, have plucked my nipple from its boneless gums, and dashed the brains out, had I so sworn as you have done to this. Mr. Dorger was up to his eyes in business. Thornbury had been much at the branch, and was supposed to be enjoying Alice's company. He certainly was in her company much of the time, but a reader of his inner life if such reader could have been found, would have found it difficult to assert that he was enjoying himself. His was an infatuation which boded no good for himself or to Alice, loving her madly, yet knowing that he must never let it be known, yearning for the boon which could never become his. He hovered about her, like the moth about the candle flame, differing from the moth in that he knew his danger, yet, like the moth, unable to break away from the fatal brightness. He lingered about her, loving her in silence, yet thinking to avoid doing harm. And Alice loved him, loved him as only women of the highest type can love. The time wore on, and Mr. Doger was busy with a business new to him, thief-hunting. He had employed detectives, and was filled with a bulldog determination to find out how the robbery had been committed and by whom. I tell you what, Thornbury, he said, let me tell you, I will get to the bottom of this thing, or my name isn't John Dojere. If there's any one thing I hate more than anything else, by thunder, it's a mystery. I've had one mystery in my life, and one is enough. There was my wife's sister, daughter of Luke Morton, now dead, disappeared one night years ago, and never was heard of since, killed her mother and the old man, too, that made Sarah as miserable as if she had lost me, perhaps more so, and, by Jove, I don't like a mystery. 
Here's this robbery, committed right under our noses. Doors and windows, all right, yet the place robbed. And let me tell you, my son, I will know how it happened. And he did know, sooner than he expected, and not with the result for which he had hoped. As the old man sat in his office late in the day, one of the thief hunters entered and closed the door. What do you want? said Mr. Docher. More money to go on with your make-believe detective work? I'll give you one more installment, but after that, let me tell you, my friend, no more money until the goods are delivered. The man took his seat. I have found some of the lost race, he said. Mr. Doger was interested, thoroughly. Now. Where, he said, in a fences place in Chatham Street, the old Cheney, who has got the stuff, was scared when I charged him with receiving it at night through his back alley door. And when I told him a few more things, he owned up but he would not give me a cue to get the fellow who stole the goods. Said he would give up the lace, but not the man, unless you came personally and asked him to. What's he act like that for? said Mr. Dojere. I'll soon make him give up his thief. I'll go there with you tonight. That night, Mr. Dojere and the officer went to old Isaac's shop and Mr. Dojere identified his stolen property. He then demanded that Isaac should surrender the thief. Isaac seemed loath to do so, but Mr. Dojere threatened him with immediate arrest if he did not comply with this request. The old Jew's eye glowed with a strange light when he made an arrangement that Mr. Dojere and the officer should conceal themselves in his shop at one o'clock that night. That was the hour, he said, when the thief would come with the rest of the stolen lace, for part of it was still missing. At the appointed time, Mr. Dojere and his man were ready, concealed in the shop, awaiting the coming of their prisoner that was to be. Mr. Dojere was beginning to enjoy the affair, they had not long to wait. In a moment, a slight sound was heard without. Old Isaac unbolted the back door, and a man entered, bearing a bundle. It was the remainder of the stolen lace. Isaac stepped back, and the man laid the bundle upon the counter and opened it. Then, turning about, revealed to Mr. Dojere, who had just come forth from his hiding place, the well-known features of his own son, Joe, clerk in the office of his father and future member of the firm of Dojere and Company, the house of many years standing and untarnished reputation. Mr. Dojere gazed at the young man who was too much terrified to move, with a look of horror and disgust depicted on his sturdy countenance. Great God, he muttered, can this be my son? Long and fixedly 
he gazed upon the youth. The officer, standing in readiness to seize the prisoner at a signal, old Isaac himself affected to silence by the work he had done, and a shadow like the grayness of death pallor fell upon his face. His son, the beloved son in whom he had been well pleased, the son of his old age, the babe of his early manhood, the son to whom he looked for support in coming years, the son upon whom he had intended to shower blessings such as only the rich can give their children, his son, his heir, his successor in that honorable house, his boy, a thief. The terrible truth came flowing in upon his mind like the rush of waters from a bursted lake sweeping through a fair valley, and he felt a strange sense of dread stealing upon him, dread for the future, dread for the past and the present. He felt a fear of the truth now, as great as had been his desire to know the truth an hour ago. His son was a thief, a mean, low-souled, sneaking thief. He thought of his honor among men, of his pride in this boy, of his wife, that thief's mother, and he thought of justice. A terrible conflict was now raging in his soul, a silent conflict, such as takes place only in the souls of men of sterner stuff. So long he stood there that the officer opened his mouth to speak, but Mr. Dojere silenced him with a sign. His thoughts were shaping themselves now and becoming coherent. This was his son. This was a thief. This was the boy his wife loved. This was a thief. This was the son in whom had centered his best hopes and tenderest affections, in whom he had placed all confidence, and who was to be some day entrusted with the care of that house of great business and honorable reputation. This was a thief. He thought of all these things and more. He thought of his wife, the mother of Alice, the sister, of Albert, the friend, of himself, the father and employer. He thought of the law and of justice, and there came from his lips, as from the lips of an Abraham at the funeral pyre, gazing lovingly upon the face of his Isaac, the words, It must be so. Take him, officer. I will appear against him tomorrow. And the old gentleman passed out into the night, the blackest night which he had ever seen, and with a blacker night in his heart walked sturdily and sadly to his lonely home where god alone knows how he spent the hours until daylight true to his promise the father appeared next morning against his son 
and the magistrate bound the youth over for trial. The firmness of Mr. Dorgere under this trial was something woeful to contemplate. Many men thought him harsh and unfeeling, bigoted, and even cruel. They knew not of the fire of anguish which burned deep down in his soul as he gazed at that beloved son whom he was delivering up to the stern hands of justice and law but mr Dorgere was a peculiar man one of the sort who could bear the gnawing of the fox at his vitals and still be calm and so he bore the comments of his fellow men without retort and suffered in silence wrong-headed it may be but true to his principles had joe been any other clerk in the house his treatment would have been the same no worse no better this sad disclosure put an end to the stay of the family at the branch and the mother and sister returned to a saddened home the hardest part of mr Dorgere's trial was yet to come and hard as it was he bore it calmly and firmly the pleading of the mother for her son the supplications of the girl whom he so dearly loved praying with tearful eyes for her brother were hard to endure but he bore them Almighty God, administering the sentence of doom to the rebellious angels, could not have been more firm in the sad solemnity of his stern final judgment. Thornbury entered his plea for the unfortunate Joe, but it was a vain appeal. Joe was a criminal, and no less a criminal because he was the son of the man against whom he had sinned should the judge upon the bench refuse to pass sentence on his guilty and convicted son mr Dorgere would not have admitted that any judge had the right so to do and it was not right that he should shield the guilty and because it was not right he would not do it it sundered his very heart-strings to thus decide but it was just and justice must be done and so the luckless joe gay and foolish once light-hearted and free was confined in jail to await the dreaded trial which should make him a branded felon and forever blast his life prospects while his mother and sister sat silent in dumb terror and his father went about his business with the vulture at his heart and his silent sorrow eating the life from his soul end of chapter eight